Good morning. There's no one else. There's no one else like him, is there? There's no one else. And, uh, where I'm going to land our, our message today is um, those verses in, in 2 Chronicles 20, um, verse 12. We don't know what else to do. We have no other hope, but our eyes are fixed on you. Isn't that the... And that's the truth of those songs that we've been singing, and I've just loved that. And in a way, I've been wrecked by them again. And uh, um, so, open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, if you will. And uh, for a couple of months, we have uh, we've been uh, grounded in this chapter. I know for myself, I have been grounded in it for, for many months now and over and backwards, mulled over this story at the start of Luke chapter 5. It's where Jesus calls his disciples. And read with me uh, from verse 1. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of, whatever you call that lake, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats uh, left by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. The one belonged to Simon. His name became Peter. And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The crowds were pushing around Jesus Huge, people, huge amount of people were coming because they had heard that Jesus was there. They had heard that miracles were starting to be performed and people were very curious to hear and see who this Jesus was. And it seems like he was pressed against the edge of the sea and, uh, and, and the people wanted him to speak, but the crowd was so close to him he couldn't do that. And so he came up with the plan. He would use the water's edge as an amplification system where he would push out a wee bit in a boat and the sound would carry across the water and people would hear him preach. And this, it said that he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And as I mulled over this story, I've wondered and wondered and wondered, what on earth did he say to those people? You see, we have the beauty of reading the New Testament we have the beauty of, of uh, hearing many people preach many different sermons, but what did Jesus actually say to the people? I think Matthew chapter 4 talks about the same story. And it says that in that part of that um, chapter, it talks about him talking about the kingdom is here. You see, the kingdom was something that they had heard about. People had heard one day, the kingdom will come. Because one day the captives will be set free. One day the blind will receive their sight. One day those who are lame will walk. One day those who are, are, are pushed back in any way, freedom will come through this kingdom. Of course, they had their own idea of what the kingdom was going to look like. And he would have said in Matthew chapter 4, or he did say in Matthew chapter 4, he said, repent. For the kingdom of God is here. Stop living your own way. Stop living with your own ideas. Stop living with your own agenda. 
Surrender to God because the kingdom wants to break in. Not just here as a place, but the kingdom wants to break in in your life. And when he had finished speaking to them, verse 4, he said to Peter, or Simon Peter, put out into the deep. And we've done a whole series on that, of putting out into the deep. And let down your catch. It's as if he, he, he spoke to the multitudes. He spoke to a great number of people. And then he took Simon Peter to one side and addressed the problem he was facing. Simon Peter, he was always quick to respond. We see that on through the Gospels. He was the one that always had an answer. He was always the one quick off the beat. He always had a word to say. He said, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Master, we have worked. Who was the we in this story? Well, this was Simon Peter's profession. This was his livelihood. This is all he knew to do. He was a fisherman. It was his trade. It wasn't something that he casually went off with, um, with Sturdy and his brothers for a few days fishing. This was actually what he did every day. And he said, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. Have you ever been in that place where you've worked hard in a season? And it seems to be like a night, night season because nights, nights seem to be longer than days. I don't know if you're worrying about something and you wake in the middle of the night. It seems to, worry seems to go on forever. But in the daytime, we seem to be distracted by one thing or another. So it, it goes by a bit quicker. We have worked all hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, one translation says, because you insist, as you have commanded, as you have said, I will go and let down the nets. I don't know whether previous to this, Simon was fishing in shallow water. Maybe he was fishing in a safe area. I don't know whether going out into the deep was a specific point where it was like no fisherman went because they were too afraid of the currents or what lay beneath the surface out there. But I can only guess that, that this man had tried this before. These men had tried this before. You see, they would have landed a catch of fish every time they went fishing. But there was other people who were fishing off the same shores. And I don't know what, most of us know what men are like. There's a wee bit of rivalry. Who caught the biggest catch of fish? Who landed? Who, whose boat, when it came to shore, had the most fish? Who had the, the biggest catch? And for them to land to shore and have just a, a pathetic catch was kind of a failure in a way. Verse 6 says, when they did so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. These were experienced fishermen. They had caught some catches in their time. They had their nets prepared for a big catch. This was an industry. This was not something they thought of just doing for a day, as I've said. And so they signaled to their partners, we read in verse 7. I love 
this part. In the other boat, come help them. Come help. And they came and they filled their boats so full that the boats actually began to sink. So it wasn't just a big catch that that uh, their nets were going to 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 uh, was going to put their nets under pressure. It actually put their boats and their businesses and their livelihoods under pressure. Verse eight says, "When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man.'" Many people have preached on this and taught on this and and I haven't come to a conclusion of why on earth he said that. But the only suggestion that I have is is that verse in Romans 2 verse 4 where it says the goodness of God, not the harshness, not the the cruelness of God, not the wrath of God, but it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And I just sometimes wonder at the gospel that we preach. We preach a harsh gospel. And when, clearly, read it yourself, Romans 2 verse 4 says it's the goodness. Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Repentance was automatic in this man's life. Go away, for he, verse 9, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were amazed. They were astonished. The fishermen on that shore that day were blown away by the catch of fish. And uh, oh, if we would live in an era where revival would look like that, where the kingdom exploding in people's lives catch would be so great that we would be astonished our our nets our nets wouldn't be able to take them our boats would sink our livelihoods would go under because of it and that we'd have to signal to our partners our local churches come help come help us help us please help us please help us this catch is is so great this catch is so amazing we would be as a village, as a community, and your community, wherever you're from, would be astonished at the catch. All because this man obeyed the voice of God. Jesus, I love Jesus' response to Simon in this. It's a bit like when the angels came to different people and right throughout the Bible. His response was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, when you meet Jesus, fear shouldn't be your first thought. It shouldn't be it. It's not, I, I don't know what to say about that, but it's not, should never be our first response. It's not, it's not his desire for you that you would live in fear. And he said, from now on, Peter, or Simon Peter, This is uh, going to change the direction of your life. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so he pulled up their boats. So they pulled up their boats. They, Simon, James and John, pulled up their boats. 
left everything, left their family businesses, left their traditions, everything they had, everything they knew, and followed him. And they've said this wasn't a casual day fishing. This was a change, a complete change in these guys in the direction of their life. This wasn't just a great experience. This was life-changing for these. And really what I want to talk about today is, is hearing, is listening, hearing, obeying, and following. That's what I want to talk about today. I feel I've been challenged over the last while about this, about listening, positioning myself to listen. I can imagine for Simon, I said, uh, probably made, said to Paul I wasn't going to preach anymore on farming, but can't help it. But I can imagine fishermen are very like farmers. They're very like, they understand nature. They're very close to nature. There's always something to do if you're either a fisherman or a farmer. And for Simon, Simon was was taken by Jesus out into this boat out a little bit as Jesus preached. And, and he probably sat there and, and thought, there's a thousand things I could be doing now. I could be going home getting some kip because I need to get out tonight again to do another night's fishing. I could get the rest of those nets cleaned. I could maybe see about some more seals of fish and create some more new orders. I have a business to run. But as he sat out on the shore, there was, there was no distraction. He was in the boat with Jesus. And, and what else could he do but listen to him, could he? And, uh, and so he was positioned to listen. Usually I find that I only go into a position of listening with God when I'm in need. When there's a crisis at my door. Then I switch on my God side. I open my Bible again that's maybe got dusty over a few days. And that's not right. There's a song that has that line in it and it's not right. You see, the second thing is hearing. There's a difference in listening and hearing. And I have come to learn that. You ever been in a conversation with someone and they're talking away to you and you haven't heard one word they said? You haven't you haven't listened. And, 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 um, and by the end of that conversation, you know what? The other person knows you haven't listened. You're too quick with your response of your answer because you've, you've it already calculated in your mind. And Neil talked a couple of weeks ago, I listened to him when we were on holidays, about uh, the conversations that need to be had. We live in a world around us, all around us, people need to have conversations, but there's no one to listen. There's no one there to help them have that conversation to get unstuck. There's lots of things that want to distract us from hearing. You're thinking about what has to be done next. You're thinking about, um, you've got your own preconceived ideas even as you, as you sit and listen. You're distracted by the cares of the world. We don't really take the space. We listen, but we don't take the space to hear what God is speaking, is saying. I'm so thankful for Julie. Julie, many um, 
maybe a couple of years ago, shared a poem with us. Um, and uh, I, I WhatsApped her last night with one or two lines of it because, uh, because it really impacted me. There's hardly ever a complete silence in the soul. God is whispering to us well nigh incessantly. Whenever the sounds of the world die out in the soul or sink low, then we hear the whispers of God. He's always whispering to us, only we don't always hear because of the noise, hurry, distractions which life has caused, which life causes as it rushes by. We're busy, we're listening, but we're not hearing. And I'm talking to myself as much as ever. And then when we do finally get to that place of hearing, which seems to take us an awful long time, awful, awful long time. If he's speaking, I don't, if he's continually speaking, which I have come to the conclusion he is, he is speaking in many, many different forms. Why is it so hard for us to hear? Finally, if we do get to that place of hearing, what are we going to do? Are we going to obey? Obey. And Neil touched on this last week. You see, if we're going to obey, it's probably going to cost you. It's probably going to be an element of cost involved. Have you ever had those moments in life where you listened, you heard, you obeyed, you followed his commandments, and you saw a tremendous breakthrough. I have. I have. But it's taken me a while to get to, to that place. Yesterday morning, I got up early, as I normally do, and, and I, I went to McDonald's. Um, I'm not promoting Dick McDonald's, but I went to McDonald's for a cup of tea and sat down and mulled over this passage again just to see if there's anything more God wants to say or, or speak. And I just went over and over and over it again, circled certain things and wrote down little comments and whatever and spent an hour doing that. And I came, I felt like I have so much to get down on paper. I need to get this because I don't like speaking without it here. I really felt impressed upon my spirit. Um, and you'll see some of my prejudices as I share this story. I really felt impressed in my spirit. Just take a walk down the barn. Just take, just take a stroll. You see, for me, the barn doesn't really represent a wonderful, glorious place. It doesn't, it doesn't represent the picture of, of the Garden of Eden. For me, I've listened about the story of what happens along the barn. There's drugs, there's alcohol. There's lots of things that are happening down along the ban in Portadown. But I listened and I obeyed. It didn't cost me much except for a wee bit of rubber off the soles of my shoes, but I went for a walk. And it wasn't too long till I was walking in that walk and um, that I was quickly, I felt I was in a really special place with God. It was a beautiful morning for anybody who was up at half, that was half seven. It was a beautiful, beautiful morning. 
and uh, and I just seem to enter a conversation with God. I don't know whether you've ever had those moments where you've entered a conversation. It was, um, I walked down a bit and I'd been reading about these fishermen. There was some men out fishing. And God reminded me of just how a fisherman operates. He sits and waits. There's nothing he can do. He can prepare all the instruments. He can prepare his bait. But what he needs to do is sit and wait. And we're not very good at that, are we? We're not very good at waiting upon God. I'm not anyway. As I said earlier, they're very much in touch with nature. I walked on a little bit more and I noticed, I don't know whether it was because I had a week stuck in the office or uh, or what it was, but I walked a little bit more, started to hear birds singing. I, I just so appreciated the outdoor life. There's animals feeding in the fields. And, uh, and for the first time, first time, but I've heard it said, Neil spoke when we were many years, a couple of years ago, about us seeing God in creation. And, uh, and it was like the first time that I'd ever saw God in creation. Sounds like a great story, isn't it? But it's true. And uh, I walked a bit and then walked back again. You see, we're sometimes just too busy for those conversations with him. And as I walked back, um, I felt him say this. I felt him say, I made it all. Actually, he didn't say that. He said, son, I made it all. I created it all. So I like where you started out from this morning, Neil. God created it all. See, the last time I spoke just prior to that, I felt God saying to me, and that, that might not seem like much to you, but it's huge for me. And the last time I spoke, um, I really felt God saying, son, I love you. So son, I love you. And son, I made it all. Nothing was demanding my attention. It was too early in the day. Social media hadn't woken up. Saturday, I was out from work. Family was still sleeping in bed. There was nothing demanding my attention. And I don't want to, to be one of these people who seem to be um, just pick on one item or another, but I can only speak from me. I find that this is a huge drain on my time with God. It's a huge drain on distract, with distraction. It's a huge drain. It's, it's either beeping, vibrating, or, or you're checking to see has someone WhatsApped you about something, replied to a message, an email, who's liked your Instagram post, what's the latest tweet, how many likes have I got on my Facebook page today. It's a huge distraction today. And, and I, I felt God just challenging me about that as I walked. It was in my pocket. But I didn't really listen too much about that. 
came back to the car park and I was about to get into my car and a guy came over. He, he works in the kind of the similar type of stuff as Ian does and he's wor working with youth and he had, he, he, he's, he was just buzzing. He was just buzzing. And uh, I said, how are you? And he said, great, I've just had the best week ever. And I said, tell me about it. And he said, well, we were away for four days. I said, who's the we? He said, I took a group of young people from Portadown and Craig Avon, 14 and 15-year-olds, away for four days. And one of the things that we said was, we, we made it a rule, if you want to be on the trip, there's no phones. There's no, there's, there's, we're just not doing it. And so you're either out or in. And, um, and he said the feedback, the first day was terrible. People didn't know what to do with themselves. Young people just didn't know. And then we just engaged in simple activities. And, uh, and the feedback was immense. And he said, there's some stories. There's some messages of people who want to know when can we do this again. When can we just build a relationship with people? again. You know, I've been reading up a little bit about the mobile phone. 200,000 people work in Silicon Valley where all this technology is developed. And a huge majority of those people do not allow their families or their children to have these devices. It's huge, so it is. And um, because they know the effects it has on, on people. You see, if you're a person who uh, suffers from anxiety, if you're a person who suffers from stress, if you are a person who suffers from, from uh, self-awareness, if you have an addictive personality, if you're a person who struggles to focus, if you're even a person who's lonely, You think this thing combats it. This thing feeds it. Feeds it. Maybe that's a bit strong, but I think recently I read over my notes that uh, I took when Sturdy preached back in um, beginning of the year, sometime March, sometime that. He talked about positioning ourselves, talked about the potter's wheel and how we're positioned on the potter's wheel and, and positioning and posture. And, uh, and I think it's important that we, we position and posture ourselves if we want to hear from God. I think we all need to hear from God. I want to hear from God more. And, uh, and so there's a story in the Old Testament that I, I said I was going to, to probably end with. And um, there's a few things that I feel that God has taught me in that story about how we position ourselves or how we posture ourselves to hear from God. The story of Second Chronicles 20, a story of Jehoshaphat, the king, if you want to turn, if you want to read it later on, that's great. But Jehoshaphat, the king, news comes to the king that there is enemies coming to wipe out the nation of Israel. There is 
a large crowd coming. There is a huge dilemma ahead. And we read that, um, and he'd be careful that I don't go off my notes or I'll be repeating myself. And, and we read that what this um, king does, this king is alarmed, as anybody would be, I suppose. But he positioned himself to inquire of God. Verse 3 tells us that. And he proclaimed a fast for all the people. He positioned himself to inquire of the Lord and proclaims a fast. I don't know about you, but when I face a difficulty, it's not my first reaction to position myself to hear from God. My first reaction is, how can I sort this? Or how can this be sorted? My first reaction is not position myself to hear from God. And he proclaims a fast. Now a fast is putting away something that will take your attention. That took the attention of these people so they could focus on hearing from God. I went on holidays and and uh, we're very conscious of our children now with phones and um, always wanting the phone and always wanting the phone. And, you know, your children will only replicate actually what you do. Someone said that once. Hope not, but it's probably true. And so we, we, we tried to be very conscious of, of just putting our phones to one side. It was kind of like a bit of a fast. And... Uh, and so that's where the whole phone thing maybe clicks in for you as you position yourself to hear from God. We read on that he gathers the whole assembly of Judah and um, they came from every town. So he not alone just talks to the middle people and he not alone uh, issues a fast. He says, nations come, nations of Judah, come, come and join with us as we seek God together. He made himself quite vulnerable in this story. So he did. Because a king doesn't do that. A king says, look, we're going to beat the enemy. And that's it. You need to keep a positive mindset. And then we read that Jehoshaphat stood, the king, assembled all Jerusalem and Judea. And then we read he worshipped, he proclaimed God among all the people. And in that that you can read it yourself in that time of, 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 of all that decree, he, he uh, pours out his heart um, to God. And then he comes to the end of, of his decree before all the nations and says this, um, for we have no power to face this vast ar ar army that is uh, tackling us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Have you ever faced a situation like that? You don't know what to do. You don't know how it's ever going to work on it. And, uh, and verse 13 says, all of Judah was standing there with her wives and children and everyone stood before the Lord. There was nobody uh, exempt from this time. Verse 14 says this. I think this is special. 
the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazael, H-A-Z-I-E-L, Jehazel, Jehazel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. And he went to the king, and he told the king what God had said. He went and stood, we read, he went and stood before the king and all Jerusalem and told the Lord, or told the king what the Lord had said. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for this vast army, of this vast army, because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but the battle is God's. They were at the end of themselves, and the Spirit of the Lord came. It was a critical time in the history of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and this king would have had many legal representatives. He would have many councils around him. He would have other sub-kings or rulers that he could have consulted. He could have inquired with. But he didn't do that. He went and um, inquired of the Lord. And then this young man steps out of the crowd. Steps out with boldness. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And uh, he, he proclaimed and gave the, the strategy of what they were to do. And I thought, well, what's significant about that? What's so significant about this young man? Well, thankfully, the genealogy of this young man is here. So it is. And I thought I'll just quickly share a few facts about the genealogy of this man. You see, the genealogy, the family that this young man would have lived in, influenced how this young man behaved. Father and sons were very close Father and sons would have passed on in those days all that they knew. There was no distractions. There was nothing to talk about. They would have just imparted everything they had into their son. And so we read that he was the son of Ben or something. Who is this man? Who is this man? This man was one of David's mighty men. Back in early Chronicles, we read about him. He was one of the men who was committed to David, to King David, in the good times and in the bad. He was one that David, David had 30 mighty men that he named. He was one that was trustworthy and he was always prepared to go at David's command. We read on and you can do the, 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 the genealogy yourself, but we read on he was the son of a priest. A priest in those days, their heart was always towards the people. Their desire was that the people would connect to God, and not alone just connect to him, but that they would see God in the priest. You know, the priest wasn't interested in the church. 
priest's main focus was not the church. The priest's main focus was people and God, connecting God to people. He was the son or part of a, a family, we can read that if we search the genealogy also, who followed the presence of God. See, the presence of God in the Old Testament was remar- was was, was um, embodied in the what they call the Ark of the Covenant. And when David moves the Ark of the Covenant from its place where it was derelict and covered over in clay to back into a prominent position, we read that this, this, this man's family was there. They were following it. They were the ones who were guiding the presence and they, they followed the presence of God. And the second and the last thing is that we read that he was a descendant of Asaph. He was a descendant of Asaph. And I think this is so important in our in our in our in in church today because I love worship. Asaph, who was Asaph? Asaph wrote many of the Psalms along with David. And Asaph was a Levite. So he had a heart of worship. Levites worshipped God. His life was about worship. But it wasn't just about worship and standing in the slipstream of someone else worshipping. He was a forerunner in worship. Psalms had never been written before like this. And he forerun. He, he went ahead. And not alone like that, he was commissioned to lead groups of people in worship. He had the ability to, um, to worship. Worship was, was his life. And uh, as this guy, young guy delivers this message, Neil touched on this last week. I've mentioned Neil quite a few times, haven't I? As this young guy delivers this message, he's a Levite, he's part of this family. He's very aware of something. That when this word is implemented, he's going to be on the front line. Because Jehoshaphat, that's how he did it. They went out with the army and stood before the other armies that were coming against them. And what he did was he moved all the worshippers to the front. All the people from the Levites, all the Benjamites, all the people who carried a, a mantle of praise. And they stood at the front and worshipped God. And as they worshipped, we read, the other army went into confusion. And so the battle was won. And so he he... He knew that it was going to cost him. He knew it probably, it could cost his family's life. So it was no light word that he was going to give in this scenario. I'm going to wrap up. Simon heard the words that changed the course of his life, his business partners, and his family's life. And that's important. We all need to hear words from God. We all need to hear that word from God. I don't know where you sit, but I could guess that some people here, as we as I talk about hearing from God, 
are desperately to hear from God in a particular situation. And you see, the thing is, God has a story that he wants lived out in each of our lives. And we can't live out that story unless we're hearing from him. Not just listening, but hearing and obeying and following him. But this story, as I look in it in the New Testament, and as I think about what was preached last, last week, I'll not mention his name who preached it, but the character of the men in Acts chapter 17. These men have turned the world upside down. These men were very, very aware of the Old Testament scriptures and the postures and the positions that they needed to take. They were very aware of these stories the faithfulness of, of listening to God, of obeying God, of sacrifice, sacrifice, giving sacrifice, serving sacrificially. That's a, that's a new thing in the church today where we just talk about serving the church. In the, in the church gone by, they would never have just talked about serving. They would have talked about sacrificially serving. Sacrificially serving the body sacrificially giving, sacrificially worshipping. But in this Old Testament story, it takes us a wee bit further because a nation's destiny was changed because of one young man who positioned himself to hear from God. And I don't know, but we look in our nation, I don't listen to too much news because I find it gets me down quite easily. But you can hear the whispers that our nation needs God. Our nation needs a, a breakthrough. Our, our people need. And I don't want to take away from the fact that there's individuals who need a breakthrough. But our nation desperately needs God. I have felt over the last while God sharing the word capacity with me. Capacity. And God wants to increase men and women's capacity. But the question is, will we pay the price? Will we, will we worship with everything we've got? Will we be committed? Will we be trustworthy? Will we be always prepared? Will we sacrificially serve? Will we follow the presence of God with all of our heart? And as I say, will we worship in the good times and in the bad? Or will we just allow the distractions? Will we just keep following one distraction after the next? We keep following the latest need. We keep following the latest thing that is flashed on our screen. I love that about the phones now. You can see actually how much time you spend on your screen and what you actually spend that time on. Because quite a few of us, for a long time, I was equating it to, to work. But now my wife can tell me it's not just work. And all of the time in the background is Judith's song that she shared there. 
about the whispers of God. I'd actually like if you finished with that song, if that's all right. Capacity. Increasing your capacity. Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. And anything that takes your eyes off Jesus, anything that takes your eyes off Jesus is a distraction. One other thing that I just want to say in the midst of this, I always thought God just spoke through the Bible. He did. For years, that's the only way I ever thought he spoke. I know it's one of his primary ways he speaks. But I found God speaking to me in conversations when I've listened or when I've heard. I've found God speaking to me as I observe people. And I've shared that before about the story of Bridget and Jimmy. I found God speaks to me now in creation. As I look around and and see the marvel and the wonder of it all. And he says, I created it all. But guess what? I created you too. But one thing I've found is all the ways that God speaks will never contradict his word. So if you come to me with something that contradicts his word, then I'll have to question you whether that's God speaking or not. Will we listen? Will we hear? Will we push the distractions aside? Will we position ourselves? Will we be that people, as I've said, that are committed, trustworthy, no matter what, always prepared for battle? Will we, will we, Will we obey even though it's going to cost us? Will we? Will we? Will we follow his presence with all of our hearts? And will we worship him in every season of life?